Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share real-life experiences and the tools they've developed to move forward and live their best lives. I'm Jenny Taylor. And I'm Michelle Scharf. I'm so excited to share with us today, Shani Barlow. Welcome to our show. You're a listener of our podcast. I am. Thank you for it's always me. It's always fun to have someone who's been the listener now become the guest. That's I know. Great. Isn't that fun? Thanks for joining us. So thanks for joining us. We're just so delighted to have you on today. I'm going to let you introduce yourself. You've written a book. You've had some really hard life experiences. You're going to share with us one segment of that with us today. What do you want people to know about you? Just to introduce my story, I am I'm married to Keith Barlow. He's my sweetheart. We met, oh gosh, back in 99 and <laughs> I was managing a bookstore and he got hired on as extra holiday help and you know, one thing led to another, and all of a sudden, we were dating and engaged and married just within a year's time. It was super quick. We now have three kiddos of our own and four with a foster kiddo in our home right now, but that's kind of just the, the overall picture of who I am. I wrote a book that was released just barely called Seeking Solace, and it's a real vulnerable glimpse into my life. So if you want to know anything at all about me, then it's in the book for sure. So you live in uh, Nevada. How long have you been there? We've been in Las Vegas for about 10 years now. Oh, awesome. Very cool. I love it. Our show's expanding outside of the state of Utah. That's awesome. It's <laughs> great. It's so cool. Well, Shani, tell us your story. Tell us what you wanted to come on and talk about today. Well, I think something that's been on my heart quite a bit has been one of our biggest struggles in our marriage, and that has been our challenge with infertility. I met Keith. He's the oldest of a really large family. And though I'm the oldest of three, my parents both have a lot of siblings and large families too. And so when we got married, we were just under the assumption that we would fall into that same pattern, that we would have a large family, that it would be super easy, and, you know, we would just go with the flow. But that wasn't the case. In fact, what had happened was when we got married, we wanted a family right off. We didn't want to, to wait for school to be done or for a house to be ready for us, anything like that. We wanted our family and it just didn't happen. Not at all, not even close calls. And so after about a year, 
we started the process that most people go through to figure out why. And that included lots of tests, taking temperatures, going to the doctor, doing lab work, and then eventually going on to different procedures, dye tests, and all sorts of things to figure out what the cause was of our infertility. It ended up being that we have a double dose of infertility. I have complications on my side getting pregnant, and my husband does as well. And so between the two of us, there was really not a way that we could get pregnant at all, Uh, which was a shock to us. And that's so hard. How did that impact you as a new wife, a a new couple, really, that wants to have this large family? How did that impact you? You know, I, I remember getting that phone call. It was a phone call. The doctor who was delivering the very last test results, she just called me. She didn't meet with us. She didn't do anything to soften the blow. She called me at work. Oh, my goodness. That's terrible. "Um, Hey, this is Dr. So-and-so. Just so you know, you're never going to have kids. (gasps) But call me if you want to try in vitro fertilization. And in my head, I, I hung up. And I remember I walked to the break room and I was just shaking, just trembling. I could not do anything. And it was like I had gone numb. I... You know, I I wasn't necessarily one of those people that as a kid, being a mom was always what I wanted to be. I guess I just assumed that would be the case, but that wasn't my number one. But as soon as I got sort of that damning news, that was just horrible, traumatic That for is me. so incredible that you would hear it over a phone call with no even conversation of, you know, are you at home? Are you like no, you're nothing. being called on the middle of your work day and someone's just giving out that blow? I mean, I can't even imagine what that would be like to be at work and hear that. I, That's terrible. Well, and yeah, we've had some awful. conversations before with other guests where the, the medical news could have maybe been delivered a little better. I mean, you, yeah. the way you found out about John's diagnosis, yeah. for example, it wasn't the let's sit down, yeah. let's have a heart. No, I read it. Would it. Be hard enough. <laughs> yeah. It would be hard enough anyway. Yeah. But yeah, yeah you, that you is so it. incredible. I'm so sorry that that's the way it was handled. Oh, no, that's okay. I mean, we've moved on from there. Luckily, I worked with just a team of amazing women. And they, they pretty much just shooed me out the door. Oh. <laughs> like, you go home. Yeah, you need to go home right now. And, and so what was husband, the, yeah, what was the next steps of that? Like, how do you give your husband the news? That was what I had to do next. My husband, we were still students working and students at the time. He happened to be home from school at that moment. And so when I walked through the door, we were just living in this little shack of a place. <laughs> and I saw him sitting at the table doing his homework and his music was on and he saw my face. I didn't have to say anything. He just saw my face. And um, all I squeaked out was the doctor called. The doctor called today. And he just knew. Mm. I think we sat on the floor of our our little apartment and just kind of held each other. Everything, my purse fell on the floor. Everything fell out of it. and, And we just held on to each other. And after a little while, he told me, he's like, get up, get dressed. We're going to go out to eat. You know, and again, starving students, 
we don't have money for the dollar menu. Holy cow, we can't go out to eat. And uh, he's how like, old, no, I want How today. old were both of you when this happened? How long ago was this? Let's see. I would have been 21, 22, somewhere oh, in there. So young. And he was 26, 27. Like you said, so many so. of us grow up as part of a family and just assume we'll then have a family. And and I don't think we as a culture do a good enough job talking about either how difficulty, how difficult fertility can be or, or, or on the flip side, when you have a child, how difficult child rearing can be. I think we kind of sometimes come into those social norms with this idealist view that we're just going to magically fall in love, get married and have kids and, and ride into the sunset. How, yeah. how do you strengthen your marriage? I love, I'm picturing this, these two young newlyweds sitting on the floor, just holding each other. I'd love to hear how you worked it so that you turn toward each other and not on each other because we know that issues like this can actually break the marriage and you can understand why the hurt the agony on each side I'd love to hear a little bit more how you maybe kept yourselves together and supportive of each other rather than you know maybe falling apart sure I think what helped us the most was talking and I'm not usually a deep talker talking about my my innermost feelings or what what's bothering me at the moment. Um, But talking it through was a huge thing for us because it was on both sides, the infertility, it was almost like we were on level ground almost to talk about the infertility. It wasn't anyone's, I guess, fault, so to say, or, or, or anything like that, but we could talk openly about it. I think, I really think because, Nobody could relate to us, none of our family, none of our friends. Everybody was having children left and right and no problem at all. We had nobody but each other. That was all we had was each other. And so we had to be able to talk that out. So I'm curious, you started your introduction by saying we're the parents of three kids. So tell us, Mm -hmm. take us from this infertility and this this terrible news that you'll (laughs) never have children to the fact that you have you have three children, so walk us through that journey and, and take us from that newlywed devastated couple on the floor to, to maybe what comes next. Well, I think I've got to share one part of the story that, that might be helpful in understanding, and that is I had a dream. And in this dream, it was just a regular old night um, going to bed, but in this dream, it was one of those where it was so poignant and just stood out to me so strongly I dreamed of a little boy. I dreamed of a little boy. He had blonde hair and he had light colored eyes and he was wearing a striped shirt. And I just, he didn't say anything. Nothing happened in the dream. I just saw like a snapshot of this little boy. And I knew that that was my son. And this was, this was real early in our marriage. This was even probably before we found out about our infertility diagnosis, but I'd had this dream, and I knew that there was a child out there for us. Now, I didn't know how we were going to find this child. Obviously, we could not have a child biologically. It just wasn't in the cards for us. And because of our diagnoses, we couldn't even pursue in vitro fertilization. That wasn't even a, a possibility for us. And so really what we were looking at was foster care or adoption, and at the time, what fit our circumstances best was to look into adoption. And so we had gone through a private agency. And about, let's see, five years later, 
is when we finally got a phone call saying, congratulations, there's a little boy waiting at the hospital for five you. Years. Five years is a long time. That's a long Especially time. Especially after yeah. the couple of years already of trying and, and exploring and everything. Um, adoption's yeah. not cheap either. Yeah. I mean, I know IVF gets very, very expensive, but the adoption process mm-hmm. is no quick expense. I think of a young married couple. How do you have the finances and the emotional stamina to wait five long years? So how, what was it like the day you got that call? I'd love to hear that emotion. The and, adoption and call? The, yeah, the adoption call saying, hey, your, your baby's oh. waiting for you. <laughs> your baby's waiting. We actually got the phone call. So it was about nine o'clock in the evening on a Monday night. And it was our caseworker and she was so funny. She's like, what are you doing tomorrow? We're going, nothing, just going to work. What are you doing? She's like, I'm going to be at the hospital. There's a brand new baby there. Papers are signed, and all you've got to do is come pick him up. Oh. So this was 9 o'clock at night. and we had to meet her, I think it was around 9 o'clock in the morning at the hospital. Oh, my gosh, and we had 12 hours. Nothing. I mean, I, we've been dealing with infertility forever. I couldn't put up at nursery. I sure. couldn't buy baby clothes. No, you clothes. couldn't face that day-to-day. I get so that. We couldn't do that. And so it was 9 o'clock at night. We had to scramble to whatever stores were open and clear the shelves of all baby items so that we could <laughs> be ready I'm, to I'm go. picturing that. I, were, were you excited? Were you overwhelmed? Was it every mix of emotion? Oh, everything. Yeah. It was everything. And this was before everybody had cell phones. Sure. So we're borrowing people's cell phones to call everybody we know. Congratulations, you're going to have a, a grandson tomorrow. Oh, by the way, tomorrow. we're on our way to go get him. <laughs> yeah. That is oh, so yes, crazy. Exactly. I mean, you're you're not even getting the nine months or, no. or even four months nope. of somebody yeah. else's pregnancy. Or Thirty days, yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Nope. Okay, mm-hmm. so you adopted yeah. you adopted your boy, or the other two children also adopted, and then you mentioned a foster child. Have you done a lot of fostering yeah. over the years? So we adopted our our other two boys. I have two other boys, and none of them we had very much notice. So they were all crazy calls like that, and then. In 2019, we started fostering. So we've been fostering for about three years now. And we've fostered four placements and then some additional ones that stopped by for a little while. So, yeah. How is that for you? Like that process of fostering, it's hard not to get attached to them. Oh, that's the hardest part. But I think um, if you're holding back on love or care or concern or anything, then you're doing it wrong yeah. is what I think. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's hard. You get attached and they do such awesome things and they're wonderful things. Then there's this dark side where you've got to deal with their trauma, their abuse, their, their hurts, all of these things that you don't always understand. And yeah, it's a roller coaster process in and of itself. Yeah. I, I imagine. Yeah. Our little girl that we have now, she is actually, this is the second time, that she's been with us. So the mm. first time How um, old is she? we picked her up from the hospital, she's, she's almost three now. Oh, we picked little. her up from the hospital and she was with us for the first year of her life before she ended up going back to her biological family. And that, that was a rough day, just dropping her in a driveway in somebody's arms and driving away oh, with her that's terrible. screaming for us. Yeah, because you know, you're, the, know you're the only family she knows. Yeah, that's got to be so hard yeah. on kids. I always wonder why they do that. Like, why isn't there a transition phase? It's not like they're a dog. Yeah, you know, right. I mean, these are, are 
little developing minds. I just that well, that trauma. Yes. trauma. Yeah, yeah. It, it's trauma. It's abandonment. Yeah. You know. So you have her yes. back now. We have her back. She's been with us for a little while, and so we're just. It's a complicated case, so we don't know what direction it's going to go. So. Oh, that's rough. That is so hard. Yeah. We need to take a break. When we come back, we'll pick up and learn more. We'll be right back. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. And we're back. So you've had... Infertility, you've had loss, you've had, how many adoptions did you have? Three adoptions. And did they all go pretty smooth? Um, for the most part, they were pretty smooth. One of them, not so much. We showed up at the hospital and then there were some complications with the birth father at the hospital. And so that was tons of fun. <laughs> but, yeah, everything worked out. And all the papers were signed, and and it worked out just fine. Yeah, these whole processes, I mean, they're not easy. No. Are you still Mm -hmm. looking to add more kids to your family? I mean, you're still doing foster care. Is some of the intent that some of them might end up being a part of your family? I think our little girl that's with us, I think we're open to that should it get to that point. But I think after that, I think... We're getting up there, you know. It's probably about time to put a bookend to our family and call it good at that. But yeah, these late nights, it's harder on my my older body <laughs> to do that. So we talked a little bit yesterday, and you said to me that you that the reason that you wanted to share this story is that you wanted to reach out to someone who might be going through infertility or going through the process of fostering an adoption. And you wanted to send kind of some messages of what you would tell your younger self. Yes, absolutely. I would love to hear that. How reflective that is. What would you tell your younger self or another person maybe beginning the journey that you've now been through for almost a couple decades, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the very first thing I would go back and tell myself was, to be absolutely open and vulnerable with what's going on. And that starts first, like we talked with your sweetheart, and being open with them and communicating what's going on with you. I think for me, I grew up playing sports, and if something bothers you, you just kind of have to just move on, let it go, and move on to the next thing. And and with infertility and some of these roller coasters with foster care and adoption, you can't just move on. You have to talk it through. You have to work through it. And sometimes what that means is letting people into that communication that you might not usually. That that could include telling your family, your friends what's going on, even if it doesn't really feel comfortable doing so. 
but you still get to decide what you share and when and with whom, but, but just be open. It's so much easier to clear the air. If, you know, they're asking, why don't you have kids? You guys are married. You've been married for five years. Are you planning on having a family? It's just nicer to clear the air so that you're not dealing with awkward questions you know, like that. I actually had infertility the first five years of, of our marriage. And my husband, ju- yeah. And my husband just would start to tell people, oh, we're skipping the kids. We're going straight to the grandkids. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great answer. That's a great right, answer. But it, I had people that would come to me and tell me that I was selfish. I was told to my face how selfish I was that we didn't have kids yet. And it was like, oh, you only know a tip of the iceberg. You don't know what's going on here. So, yeah. yeah but just and I, I can relate to that, right? Like people are not sensitive to the fact that like it's not easy for everybody to just have kids. And maybe they really <laughs> are trying and you don't want to share well, and all I your find personal pieces with as, everyone. As the woman that gave birth seven times in 12 years, we mm-hmm. we get nosy either way. Yeah. Because every time I'd be pregnant, somebody would say, oh, what in the world? You're pregnant again? Are you having another baby? <laughs> Do you know how that happens? I mean, you get yeah. all the comments. And I remember I have a couple sisters-in-law who have struggled with infertility. And I remember the guilt I would feel. Yeah. That I could get pregnant and the heartache for them that they couldn't. I mean, we're so hard on each other, particularly as women. Yeah. And we're so nosy about whether you do or don't have kids, whether you do or don't work, whether you do or don't. I mean, why why are Mm -hmm. we like that? Right. Maybe a conversation for another day. But how do you, where were you in your headspace? How did you and your husband face that and not just crumble under that type of outside commentary that then just aggravates the anguish you're already experiencing. I mean, that's resilience, right? Being able to withstand the outside voices that already hurt the inside voices you're hearing Hearing yourself. (laughs) Sure, sure. I think for us, I think it was just stepping back and looking at, I don't think anybody came to us with malicious intent with their comments or their feedback or critiques or whatever. I, I really honestly don't think there was, a mean spirit behind it. I think it was, they were honestly trying to do what was they thought best for us or give us advice or that sort of thing. And so to step back and say, okay, it wasn't ill-intended. It right. was, it was well-meaning, tacky, right? But, we, we call that know, well, well-meaning intentions, but, but sure, well, even sure. well-meaning intentions can really hurt. Just kind of mind times. your own business. And yeah. I love what you say at the end of each show. People are struggling with things like maybe your comment's not helpful. Just <laughs> figure you don't know the whole story and give people the benefit of the doubt, please. One way yeah. or the other, yeah. pregnant yeah. or not pregnant. Yeah. Which is a good message yeah, for absolutely. the show, right? Like, number one, to let those struggling. Yeah, not everybody has ill-meaning intention. But on the other hand, it's okay that you don't appreciate it and it doesn't feel good. Yeah, and to kind of adopt this, you know what? They don't know, they don't understand, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> sort of attitude, you know, just let them think what they want, let them do them, because we know what's really going on, and that's really what's important. So. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I yeah. loved it when my husband came up with the, we're skipping to the grandkids. We just both adopted that, and it just shut down the conversation, and and then people would, like, laugh and uh-huh. Or say like, oh, that's funny. Like, how do you intend to do that? Yeah. And we're just yeah. like, you say, yeah. mind your business. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we just laugh mm-hmm. and go on to the next conversation, you know. So what, what yeah. advice do you have to the young couple, the young woman, the, the young husband or, or, you know, the father 
to be. What advice would you give, whether it was yourself or someone else, on how specifically to be resilient against that outside commentary? And and that could apply to infertility and a lot Mm -hmm. of other things. How do we build that resilience? I, I would love to hear what you've learned or maybe counsel you would give through your personal experience. I think the the biggest help that I had was finding my support system, my true support system. And so that includes your spouse, that includes your family, but that also includes mentors who have been there. You know, it's it's different talking with somebody who has been through the path that you've taken. You know, I I couldn't have named one person who had ever dealt with infertility when I first got the diagnosis, not one. But to find different support. There's different support groups online, in person, through different agencies to find somebody who can talk you through that. Like, oh, yeah, I know. I've, I know what you're feeling. This is what I did in that situation. And then knowing that they've been there, their advice means the world to you. Well, and I um, think that goes this- to back to what you said earlier, where you said, talk to people about it, like be vulnerable, willing to talk about it. Because the fact of the matter is, is that we don't talk about infertility. No, You know, we usually suffer in silence. And then if we do start having kids, it's like we close the chapter on that book. We finally were able to find our children, whether it's through adoption or IVF or, you know, treatment or whatever. We get our kids here. Then we just don't talk about it. I mean, I... I was a doula and a childbirth educator. I didn't talk about my history of, you know, you're listing out all of the tests that you did. I'm like, oh, I know that one. Oh, yeah, I know what she's talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because mm-hmm. same with mm-hmm. miscarriage. Yeah, we don't talk. A, a lot right. of us, even even I, I've had seven children. Very few people do I ever say, oh, and there was that time I miscarried and right. the difficulties of yeah. that and right. the guilt I felt for miscarrying one when I still had seven. Because how can I be sad about what? You know, we right. we do. We get so comparative and so judgmental even in our own heads. Right. Yeah. So we don't talk about it. So, you know, when you said being vulnerable, I think that's another avenue to be able to find other people that maybe have walked in your shoes. Well, yeah. And how do you know that the woman sitting next to you at church or in the PTA meeting or whatever, Mm -hmm. she's probably dealing with the exact same thing or has dealt with it too. As soon as you open your mouth and as soon as you're vulnerable and sharing your situation, it's amazing how many people will come and kind of pat you on the back and go, oh, I've been there. I know what you're dealing with. Yeah. So how but, do we how do we have some of those difficult conversations? Let's talk about that for a minute. You mentioned church, PTA, different mm-hmm. places we are. Most people ask, how are you doing? We say, fine. How are the kids? Yeah. Sure. You give an update. We don't often say, I'm really struggling, dot, 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 whether it's infertility or yeah. something else. How, how do we start those difficult conversations? How have you found avenues to maybe... Let that vulnerability lead to maybe strengthening a relationship or clarifying misinformation. How do you get that going? Oh, that's a good question. I think I think it starts one-on-one, first of all. You're never going to just probably stand up unless you're teaching a class of some sort and just announce that you're dealing with infertility. Usually that's not the case. Usually it's a one-on-one conversation at a park or with a friend and with somebody who it delves deeper than just, hey, how's it going? Fine. So it's, no, I really want to know about your life. They're the people who deserve to know a little bit more about you, the ones that are taking more of an interest in you besides just sitting next to you. I think it starts with asking the deeper questions like, well, if you're not feeling well today, what's what's going on? What's Is there anything that I can do to help with that? I think 
I don't know. And then, a lot of us and then on, the responsibility I, for us to be honest. If maybe yeah, we have absolutely. a friend or a family member or someone that we're close enough to that, I love that you said they deserve to know how we're feeling, that there are people who care about us. And if we're almost doing them a disservice, if we say, no, we're fine, we're fine, we're fine, when they really want to care and really want to help. And they probably can't fix whatever's wrong, but they can be there for us. And I love yeah. what you're saying about ask the deeper questions and then to the rest of us, have courage to answer that deeper question. Sometimes the honesty that really we need the most is with ourselves. Yeah. How am I doing? Man, I'm, <laughs> I might be a total mess. Can I say that out loud even to a close friend? Will yeah. I admit that? Yeah. I think for years I put on this facade of, no, I'm fine. Things are good. and fine. I'm dealing with it. If I would have only learned in those earlier years just to open up, it's so liberating to say how you really feel. No, I'm struggling today. I'm really struggling with my self-worth. I'm struggling to feel enough when dot, 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 I can't do these things or when this is happening. You know, who needs a facade? Nobody wants that. Everybody wants a more authentic version of you. Absolutely. And I've I've had to learn that one. That one wasn't innate over the years for sure. sure. Yeah. We need to take a short break. And when we come back, we want to learn about what resiliency means to you. We'll be right back. So, Shani, tell us, what does resiliency mean to you? Oh, resiliency. I think one of the best traits that I can describe is grit. I love the word grit. I like bouncing back when you've been knocked down. I like being able to take a hit and still come back fighting. I think resilience is being able to manage these things, all of these different challenges and struggles, whether it's infertility, adoption, or any other struggle in life, it's being able to find healthy ways to cope with them, manage them, and still come back fighting. I love that. I love what you said right before the break, that it's so liberating to say how you really feel. I mean, that's resilience right there, and that's the grit, Mm -hmm. that that effort of, of bouncing back you take the hit and you come back fighting. Being resilient doesn't mean you dodge all the hits, yeah. right? It doesn't mm-hmm. mean because you're strong or because you're determined or even because you know the path you're on. It doesn't mean now life is easy or flawless and just going to sail along. Yeah. I love all right. of that. Absolutely. Right. Well, I loved what you mentioned, healthy ways to cope. Let's talk for a minute. Coping mechanisms. Some of you might have remembered at one point I had an experience with my husband shortly before he died where he asked me over the phone, what are your coping mechanisms? And I remember drawing a blank, nothing. I was in such a dark spot. I couldn't think of a single dang thing that could help anything, anyone, anywhere, hopeless. Let's talk what's a coping mechanism and how do those, I love what you said, healthy ways to cope. I think those are tools of resiliency for sure. Being able to take the hit and come back. Well, what are the coping mechanisms that help you come back? So Shani, what are some of the coping mechanisms you've utilized in your life, whether current or in the past? Well, specific to infertility, I think is, it sounds counterintuitive, but to make plans, make a plan and nothing based on children or family planning or anything like that, but just make plans, go schedule a vacation, go take a trip, go on an adventure, set a goal for yourself, go back to school, make plans, 
and make none of them contingent upon your family situation. I love that you have something to look forward to, that something that can carry you through those rough patches like, oh, we've still got our D.C. trip planned. That's going to be amazing. That's going to be great. For me, I was still focused a lot of times on, no, we've got to save every penny towards the cost of adoption, towards all of these things. But And we didn't take those trips. And now looking back, we had five years where we could have gone on all these adventures or done these things together. And I wish we would have done that more. So make plans. They don't have to be big. It could just be like, hey, date night, Friday night. Let's do something. Yes, yeah, something to um, look forward or, to. Yeah. Night. Yeah, something yeah. to look forward to. Yeah, Make I think plans. it's really important that we move on with our life, even when we're disappointed by the outcomes of something we're struggling with. So like, or, you know, you might be looking for a new job, but that doesn't mean that you can't find ways to grow in the one that you're at, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. Or... Widowhood. <laughs> or, <laughs> or yeah, you know... Uh, I had 30 years of the rest of our lives planned out two weeks before my husband got a diagnosis of cancer. And and to have that completely swept off the table, it's taken me until this past year to even start being able to dream about what is it that I want? What are my hopes and dreams? And what am I going to do to achieve those? And realizing that it's only up to me. I don't have anyone Mm -hmm. else here to plan it with. I get to choose all of that for myself. And at times it feels overwhelming, but it's also liberating. Yes. Yes. I love that. I love that. And it's important. You know, the funny thing is, is that you go through something like a death or losing out on your dreams of infertility. And it's easy to feel like, well, I had all of these plans. But the funny thing is, is that as you return to life and you start making plans in life, all the best laid plans don't necessarily come to fruition. So, yeah. you know, my husband and I had all of these great plans for our life and our family. And, you know, we planned our deaths. We were going to die in bed holding hands in our old age. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that that's not the thing that happened, right? But having those dreams and goals and hopes and desires are beautiful things because they do help carry us through some of the rough things that come up in life. Absolutely. And being able to live in the moment and appreciate things, like you said, Michelle, even if they're not the things you thought they were or not the things you yet want them to be. Yeah. There's a lot of lessons there. Shani, tell us about your book. My book. So my book, again, Seeking Solace is its name, but it's it's a story of my family. We have gone through... (laughs) quite the roller coaster with our adoptions, with our foster care, with, I told you about my dream of this little boy that I had and kind of how that came to fruition and just everything after that. I wanted to put that out there that we all have plans that go wrong, (laughs) that our life just hasn't gone as planned. It really hasn't. And that things have interrupted some of our best laid plans. But that's okay. We can still find the miracles in those imperfect moments or those things that we didn't anticipate in our lives. Absolutely. And so my, mm-hmm. my book is written as a conversation. Yes, it's the story of my life, but it's also got questions in there like for you. Like if we were sitting on a park bench talking, what's happened in your life? 
that didn't go quite as planned? Or how did you react to that? Or how do you react to anger when stuff like that happens? Have you ever been mad at God when it feels like he's not listening? (laughs) Oh, have I ever been mad at God? (laughs) Right? Right? (laughs) Oh, I've had some really good discussions. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and I love what you said, those questions in that book. Have you ever had something planned not work out? Yes, all of us. Yes. And if we could keep that in Uh mind, again, back to kind of what we talk about so often here, we're all dealing with heartache and disappointment. And some of it's more visible, some of it's more understandable, or, or maybe we see it, but we're all dealing with that. And what if we could keep that in mind as we deal with other people? What if we could have yeah. that compassion mm-hmm. that you're probably broken over something right now, in which case maybe my interactions with you can change. I don't have to take everything personally or get upset or just look to be offended. Maybe I could give you the benefit of the doubt that you and I are both kind of vulnerable wanderers on this path yeah. and, and yeah, try to help absolutely. each other along the way. Which, you know, mm-hmm. is really the value and purpose of this podcast yeah. is to remind people that we're all dealing with so much And at any given time, we really don't understand the people that we're crossing paths with, the things that they're dealing with in their lives. And we've all got them. And sometimes the path is easy and we're we're in the lull and it's mundane and maybe boring even. And that's awesome. (laughs) Soak it in. (laughs) But don't you find yourself sometimes in this moment almost like antsy for what's next or antsy for what you should be doing or antsy for what might happen? We're not good at letting it be. Yeah. Just be. Right now, maybe all we need, maybe the best resilient thing I could do right now is just be in the moment. Yeah. Maybe learn from what's behind me, look forward to what's ahead of me, maybe anticipate a few things, but stop trying to live the past and the future in every present moment. It's too much. And that goes back to what we talked about on our 100th episode on the five pillars and mindfulness. mindfulness. Learning how to be in the moment and just allow things to be what they are. And not judge them or and take them for what they, them. yeah, not control them, but really learn to be present and in the moment. There's so much that can happen in our lives. And I think the interesting thing is, especially right now, we all, and even on this podcast, we talk a lot about the trauma. I really hope everyone stays for the back end of the show yeah. where we talk about the it good part. It does get heavy. But we often don't really, I have noticed from the past year of doing this podcast that sometimes I just have some boring days in my life that are just still days. Like you said, just mundane days. Yeah. They're just still, I get up, I drink my shake, I do my yoga, I go through my house, I pick up some things, I might work on my book a little bit. Like they're just a day, right? No headlines involved. No headlines involved, no trauma, no kids calling me on the phone, no emergency. Like it's just a day. Yeah. And what I've started to recognize just recently is that I want to soak up and be more present for those moments as well, because it's easy for the traumas to take uh, the yes. spotlight. The super highs and the super lows take all the attention. Right. And instead, I'm like, you know what? This is just a good day. Yeah. I'm going to enjoy this good day. I'm having a good day. And it doesn't and, need to be. And, I, and I'm starting to be at peace with that calm. And mm. it's. It's really nice to be able to get to that space. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, and how exhausting would it be if you only lived the highs and lows? Which sometimes I mean, it seems the, we do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
And we I almost feel like right now look for it. I'm in a fever pitch. Yeah, but but no, I I love that you can appreciate the mundane days, the even keeled days where it's not a red letter day. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. It, Shani, and getting comfortable with this, it. <laughs> yes, this has been so great. Thank you for sharing your story. I love how you called your book a conversation. Yeah. How it's yes, you've used yeah. your story to help communicate really the human story yeah. and the vulnerability mm-hmm. that we all share and how much stronger would we be if we'd let ourselves be a little more open? I wish I had to us. the opportunity to have read the book before we brought you on here, but oh, I would well, love to, to follow up. Yeah, I would love to read that book. It sounds like it's full of great yeah, information. Link, we'll for sure watch in the show notes. We'll leave a link to the book so we can all get it. And what a great word, solace. And We're your website solace. is Shani Barlow and it's dot com. Right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. Shani Barlow. Yep. Well, so, Shani, thank you, yeah. thank you. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you for spending time with us. Thank you for talking about something that we don't talk often enough as women in our society. So true. Well, yeah, thank you. Thank you for facilitating this and making it part of the conversation. I mean, with 10 to 20% of all couples dealing with it, it's, it should be That's a part lot of the of conversation. People. That is a lot yeah, of people. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It should be. And I always felt that when I was dealing with my stuff. And, and you know, it's hard because it's also hard to find information and, and try to figure out, not just be reliant on a doctor, but really try to find out for yourself what is going on, what is potentially happening with my body, why yeah. is it not working. Yeah. So, yeah, these yeah. are conversations that are important to have. And it's important for people to know that you're not alone. And there's a lot of women that have been in your path. And some of them have gone on to have children, either themselves sure. or through adoption, adoption or IVF or or foster care. And um, yes. mm-hmm. there's always an avenue if you're committed to have a family to find a way to build one. Well, and thank you. Yeah. My, my biggest takeaway today, Shani, is just that statement. It's so liberating to say how you really feel, whether you're talking infertility, mm-hmm. miscarriage, pregnancy, or something completely else. Mm-hmm. It is so liberating to say how you really feel. That right there might be today's nugget of resilience because it's not all in our head, this independence. I'm just going to be resilient and strong and survive this on my own. No, you're not. (laughs) Say how you Mm -hmm. feel. Find someone that listens. Find someone that cares. You'll probably surprise yourself how much they might be able to share with you as well once you break down some of those cultural norms of just brick walls of I'm fine. I'm fine. So thank you for that. Yeah. We really appreciate you being with us. We appreciate you being a listener that then reached out and decided to share your own experience. That's what we ask for every week. Yeah. To all those of you listening, we hope that you've enjoyed this journey with us with Shani. We hope you'll also check out her website and her book and the nuggets of wisdom she can share with the rest of us. If you're listening, you probably have a story about resilience you could share. And we would love to let you share that with us on this show. Please find us on social media at Relentlessly Resilient Podcast or email us at rrpodcast at ksl.com. And remember, whatever you do today, remember to be kind. You have no idea the struggles others are dealing with in their lives. Have a great day. Thanks, everybody. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. 
police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.